0: This is the Freddie and Harry Podcast on ESPN Radio.
1: Tim in Missouri, what do you got to say about the Las Vegas Raiders having a complete house cleaning, my friend?
2: I got the perfect coach for the Raiders. Okay. It's going to be the one who has the most energy and most understanding that I've heard on the radio lately, and that's going to be Mr. Harry
0: Douglas. (laughs) There we go. There we
1: go. There we go. I'm Freddie Coleman, and I approve of this message. Oh, man, Harry's winning the press. Out. Out. Oh, my You
0: know the
3: first sentence is going to be a cuss word.
1: And welcome to the best show on your radio. You know it better. It's Freddie and Harry. Got my man, Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman. Together, presented by Progressive Insurance. Appreciate you joining us on the ESPN app. Series Section Channel 80. And always tell you a smart speaker to play ESPN radio. Ten minutes away from finding out there are four, six, and two teams in the AFC. Right now, who is the best 6-2 team? We'll get to that in about 10 minutes. We also love talking college football our man Trevor Maddich. Does a great job as an ESPN college football analyst. Also, host of College Game Day and ESPN radio each and every Saturday. Catch him on Twitter at T. Maddich. And Trevor, number one, thanks for topping in, my brother. Always good to see you. Always great to
4: see you guys. Yeah.
1: Number two, the initial rankings, Ohio State, number one at the top of the rankings. Florida State was four, Georgia two, Michigan three. When you saw those initial rankings come out, Trevor, what went through your mind?
4: Well, uh, like Ohio State snuck in there, kind of like they were fifteen years old sneaking into Studio Fifty
1: Four. <laughs> it's kind of like what it felt like. <laughs> I'll I share that story later on this hour. By the way, that's what Trump was talking about. Uh, oh, okay. I uh,
4: didn't want to didn't want to step on the story no, there. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, listen, you guys want to stick around for this story? It's uh, it's a story <laughs> now. But Ohio State. See, I don't think they are the the best team in the country right now. Okay. I think they can grow to be there. Okay. I think their running game has a lot of work to do although they have had injuries in the running back room. I think their their passing game needs to diversify more away from just receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. But their defense is national championship caliber right now. They're number 1 because they have the best resume. I mean they've got two top tip 15 wins against Notre Dame at 15 and Penn State at 11. That's why they're at number 1. But again, I don't think they're the best team. I think Michigan is the best team. But they're number 3. Because according to the committee, they haven't played anybody. Right. But I mean, just watching the games, though, they've been the most dominant team in the country.
3: Yeah, Trev, I, I have Michigan as the best team right now as well because they're balanced. They're balanced on offense. I like their offensive line, their running back room, their wide receivers. Roman Wilson has done a phenom- phenomenal job scoring touchdowns this season for that team. But also, you look at the defensive side of the ball. Like their defense has been solid as well. Just like you spoke about Ohio State and. When I watched Penn State live, when I watched Ohio State live, and then I watched the film on Michigan, I say to myself, Michigan, honestly, clear-cut in my opinion, is the best team in the Big Ten. Is that how you see it as well because you have Michigan at number one?
4: That is how I see it, Harry, because you watch how they dominate 11 on 11 pretty much every play, everybody they play. And you say, well, they haven't played any top teams, but you know, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State, and Boston College – They've struggled early in games, and they've had to come back. Michigan hasn't really done that. But there are two things that I notice when I watch them play, especially when I watch J.J. McCarthy, their quarterback, play. One is that how, how good he is. Mm-hmm. He is crisp. He is decisive. He is accurate. And the second thing that jumps out is, man, these guys he's playing against are awful. You know, <laughs> you know, when I say awful, I mean th- th- these are not the top defenses he's going to be facing as the season continues to progress. He's got Penn State and Ohio State on on, on tap.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst, also the host of College Game Day and ESPN Radio in the weekends, joining us here on Freddie and Harry on ESPN Radio, staying with Michigan with all that sign-stealing, smoking scandal all around them. Boo Corrigan, who's the committee chair of the College Playoff Committee, he said that did not affect how they felt about Michigan. But if you're in that locker room as a player, trying to uh, keep your focus and keeping that outside, how do you do do that as a player when you know your coach is trying to do the same thing? You do that by getting mad.
4: Both of you guys played. Mm -hmm. And you know that the greatest uh, favor you can do a football player is to make him feel disrespected. And whether it's legitimate or whether it's manufactured, it doesn't matter. I mean, guys will take the most ridiculous bulletin board material and turn it into some big conflagration that they can be mad about and feel disrespected about. Well, this is potentially, you know, this is huge. Certainly the accusations are they're not as good as their record Mm -hmm. because they've been cheating. That's the accusation. And if I'm a player in that locker room, I'm not trying to figure out, well, gee, did we steal signs? Did we not? Did we have an advantage? Did we not? No way. Okay. I am banding together, and I'm saying, I went out there and blocked. You went out there and tackled. I saw you run over a guy at the goal line. I saw you go up and, and catch a ball with two guys on you mm. and then fall awkwardly and hold on to the ball to catch a touchdown. I saw you throw a pass when you were just about to get smashed by a blitzer deep down the field accurately for a touchdown. Anybody that says those things weren't real are disrespectful. That's the way I'm handling it
3: if I'm a player. That's a good point. So, wow. You look at the rankings that came out last night, Ohio State's one, Georgia's two, Michigan's three, Florida State is four. But when you look at teams outside of the top four, which one of those teams are in the best position to potentially end up in the in the final four when it's all said and done?
4: I think Oregon at six is in great position. Really I think good. they were the better team when they lost to Washington earlier in the season. Washington, you have to give them credit. Their defense made three stops on fourth down over the course of that game. Sure, one was fourth and goal at the three, and uh, one was fourth and three on the eight going in, where Oregon chose to you know go for it instead of kick a field goal. And the last was fourth and three at midfield near the end, where if they have gotten gotten that, they could have run out the clock. Washington's defense made the stop on all three of those. But the truth of it is Washington's defense has a lot of issues Mm -hmm. right now. I think Oregon is a more complete team. And if they face each other again in the Pac-12 championship game, and and both of them have zero or one loss, I think Oregon is in position to, to get there. One thing that really bothers me, I don't know if it bothers you guys. Okay. But head-to-head has to matter.
1: You would think. You would think. (laughs) You would think.
4: Right? If everything else is equal. Now, Arizona State almost beat Washington up in up in Washington, right? Arizona State's two and six. If they had a one, you don't put Arizona State ahead of Washington. That doesn't work that way. But both Texas and Oklahoma have one loss. Mm -hmm. Texas's best win is number eight, Mm -hmm. Alabama. Right. Oklahoma's best win is number seven. Texas. Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Texas is seven. Oklahoma is nine. Mm -hmm. Even though Oklahoma won head to head, why? Why? (laughs) I want to turn purple and burst when I see something that clear cut. Disregard
3: head to head. Well, I I want to stay on Texas for a second. So, if you're a Texas fan or a part of that program, not talking about players. Is it best for them right now to be rooting for Alabama this weekend to, number one, beat LSU, and for Alabama to also win the SEC if they're able to win the Big 12 because that gives them a gripe that they should be in the college football playoffs over in Alabama in which they beat head-to-head?
4: Absolutely, Harry. They want to be able to say that they have the best win. And right now, that's the way it's shaking out, although we still have Big Ten Championship game. We still have Ohio State-Michigan coming up. But for now, they can say that they have the best win uh, and make a good case of it because it wasn't a neutral site game mm-hmm. like Oklahoma-Texas. It was at Alabama. They should be rooting for Alabama, but they should also be rooting for Oklahoma. Right. Yep. yep. Because they want Oklahoma to win out and have another chance to beat them and avenge their loss in the regular season to the Sooners mm-hmm. in the Big 12 championship game. That would be much cleaner than to have Oklahoma fade and have somebody else in the Big 12 championship game with Texas should they make it.
1: 30 seconds left. If Trevor Match is part of this committee, what would be your criteria to rank teams one through six?
4: My criteria would be, first, how good of a football team is this?
1: Okay, I test. Right,
4: I test. Head-to-head is supreme above everything as long as the records are similar. I get it that resume is very important, mm-hmm. but resume is should be second. Because if you took Georgia last year's national champion out of the SEC <clears> – <throat> last year, and you put them in the MAC, they would have been just as good. Right. But they wouldn't have made the playoff because they wouldn't have had the resume, would they? Absolutely. So this is where there's no good answer, and I err towards the side of how good is this team.
1: Okay. Always appreciate appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for stopping by Trevor Maddich. Thanks, guys. Trevor Maddich, like we mentioned, ESPN, college football analyst, catching part of college game and ESPN radio each and every week, and I hit him on Twitter, T. Matt, he was here, thanks to Bear. Bear is awesome, and let me tell you why. This side of the Home Depot helps you get your projects done right with Bear Premium Plus interior paint. We were going to talk the best 6-2 team in the AFC. We're going to table that and move that to 20 minutes from now here on Freddie and Harry. He's Harry Douglas. and Freddie Coleman on ESPN Radio. But we put it out there about 40 minutes ago, and you have responded at 888 say espn eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. What's the one function or event? that you were able to sneak into. I love the fact that Trevor kind of gave us the story behind the story, and I'll get to my story how I snuck into Studio 54 when I was 15 years of age back in 1981. But before that, Dave has a chance to speak on the one function or event that you snuck into. Big Dave, what you got, my friend?
2: So, uh, y'all know this is Dave T. Played for the Giants, won a couple of Super Bowls. Oh, Dave Tolleson, right? Dave Tolleson, right? yeah. We, I snuck into with Tosh Lupoy, the defensive coordinator for the Oregon Ducks, to the 2002 USC Notre Dame game with used ASU versus Cal tickets and watched Justin Tuck play USC, and ended up being his teammate when I was a carpenter at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: That's
1: crazy.
2: That is, that is crazy. A little
1: birdie told me that you played man, Antonio we, Pierce on the Giants. A little birdie told me that. How true yes, is that?
2: Yes, man. I snuck into the USC-Notre Dame game. We drove my 85 Buick Park Avenue down to L.A. Wow. From, from the Bay Area with five dudes in it and snuck into the game because we wanted to see what Carson Palmer was about.
1: <laughs>
3: wow we got some criminals in this country don't we that call this show <laughs> what, what, what are your thoughts on Antonio Pierce getting the Raiders job that's
1: a good question
2: love it love it absolutely love it I think Antonio is is it, it really is a, a unique kind of experiment because he was a leader of our team mm-hmm. an incredible player in his own right and 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 it's going to be unique to see because obviously Josh McDaniels probably couldn't throw a football of his life depended on it. <laughs> so we're going to find out <laughs> if a football player can coach a football team, right?
1: That's very fair. And Harry, by the way, Dave, thank you so much for the story and the call. Harry, you mentioned something about having a chance to relate to players. If you're going to pick an interim head coach, pick somebody that played in the league that can relate to players like Antonio Pierce, getting his chance at interim head coach, taking over for Josh McDaniels with the Las Vegas Raiders. Because
3: it's just different, man. You, you, you're you talking about someone who has been there, done it. Right. So he understands every single thing that these players could possibly be going through. No doubt. So when they can, when they come to him, he understands. Okay. So he also understands how to handle them, right? right. If their body's feeling worn down, okay, we're going to take things off of practice on this day and we'll go harder probably tomorrow. Or we'll go hard one day Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday we'll go a little light. He understands all these things, ins and outs, and uh, the ins and outs of all of it, he's been a player, he's been a coach. So I just think right now at this moment, he's the perfect person for this position.
1: Sean in Wisconsin, what's the one functional event that you snuck into, my friend?
2: I appreciate the call, by the way. So you guys remember the San Diego Chargers, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm born in San Diego. I've been in Wisconsin for two years. I think I was like 16 years old. One of my friend's
1: brothers, he literally looked identical to Sean Merriman. So pretty much we stuck into the Chargers game. I think it was the Chargers versus the Chiefs, I believe. Okay. I might be wrong, but we stuck into the game and literally watched it and had fun. Well,
3: hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, wait, wait. Yeah, wait. Did, did, did they think your brother was possibly Sean Merriman? Well, they did. <laughs>
0: which, 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 which weird, but they did. He, they, he pretty much looks identical to him. They let us in perfectly fine. We went, sat in, the stand, watch the game like like it was nothing. We were like sixteen at the time.
1: Good work out of Sean in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Good work out of his brother in the gene pool. Looking, hold that close. <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Devin Kane. What sixteen year olds looking like Sean Merriman? Hey
3: man, I was just, That was my next hey, question.
1: Put it this way. Here is how I answer that question. You see that how ex- lax the security was. Down in New Orleans, yeah. apparently that transferred to San Diego with the Chargers. Well, maybe they got transferred over to the you know the same people. Maybe they did. It was like a <laughs> like a Bernie Mac situation from Ocean's Eleven. Maybe they didn't vet him out before they realized that they to kick him out part of that whole scheme. As far as that goes, I, Harry can't wait because nice all right. We got to get to my story about me sneaking in the studio fifty-four for those Hot Sauce Freddy. They, they know, said no. Hot Sauce Freddy. Well, like criminal Freddie, when it comes to this. And by the way, I told my mom this story. My dad said, How stupid are you to tell your mother that you snuck into Studio 54? I'm like, Dad, I'm 35 now. He said, You should have taken that to the grave. Your mom should have never found out about that story. I'm a city kid, grew up in Brooklyn, New York, also used to go to Manhattan all the time. When you're that young, you take the train for the first time, you're with your friends and everything like that. You're not going to tell your parents exactly where you're going on a Friday night. They're just saying, Hey, be home at a certain time. I guess they didn't want to ask any questions. I wasn't giving any answers. I was not telling any lies as far as that goes. So someone who's Charmaine nameless, one of my best friends, Chris Rodney, we're walking by Studio 54, and you see the people on the line. They got the lights and everything and all that stuff. And Chris goes, in his infinite wisdom, he goes, man, we should try to just go up there and see if we can get in. I said, Chris, you see what we look like, right? We don't look anything like those people online. He goes, scared money don't make money. No problem. So we walk past the line. All these people are there, and believe me, it looked like something out of a Halloween parade in Greenwich Village, the kind of outfits these people had on. I mean, we saw some outfits thinking they should not have let you out of the house with that outfit on, and you're about (laughs) to go to Studio 54. No pause here. So we keep walking around and walking around, we're just looking for any kind of way to say, okay, what can be the entry point that we can try to find a way to get in where we don't have to provide any identification? There was a security guard by the door. Like, towards the back, going towards the back alley. And we're thinking, okay, he takes off from there. I don't know what happened. He just walked away from it. So we walk up to the door. We're thinking the door is going to be locked, right? Door was open. Unlocked. Four of us all walked right in there, right? First five to ten minutes, Harry walked in that place. I said, we have no bleeping business being in this place right now. I saw some things that I'm sure were not legal, and are still not legal now in 2023. <laughs> so Trevor Madrid, who joined us, he said, So when you got in there, Freddie, what did you do? I said, Well, after the initial shock, and by the way, when you see pictures of Studio 54 now and you see the bright lights, I'm telling you, it was a lot brighter being in there. Just the sheer force and volume of the electricity in that building. You're literally walking blind for like the first five to ten minutes. Once you get your bearings straight and everything, the music is pumping the the the, the the disco balls and running around and everything. We just got on the dance floor and just started dancing, and people were doing illegal things on the dance floor. <laughs> you thought security <laughs> was lax in New Orleans. No security in Studio 54. After about an hour or so, we said, yeah, we better get out of here. We're playing with house money. Let's get out of here. Walked out of the front of the place. I said, hope you guys had a good time. Yeah, no problem. We ran out of that place in case we were going to get caught because we had no business being in there. But the
3: It's memorable. You still remember Man. it to this day, Freddie.
1: I'm just glad I was not old enough to know better to be in there legally. I can't
3: wait till we get off air so I can ask you what you've seen. I can't do that on air. What did you see, Freddie? My goodness. I can't can't even
1: answer that on air. (laughs) I can't can't even answer that on air. Put it this way. Think of the most, one of the best times you ever had in your life illegally, and I saw that within the first five minutes of Studio 54.
3: What? Freddie, (laughs) Freddie, you've seen some good stuff. You've seen some good stuff. I don't know if it was good. (laughs) But it was entertaining. It was informative. That's all I'll say
1: about that. That's my Studio 54 story. I snuck in there when I was 15 years of age. My dad said, that's why you don't tell your mother that story. He goes, how (laughs) dumb are you? What kind of kid did I raise? I said, Dad, I'm telling now I'm 35 years of age. He goes, you're an idiot. I would have never told him. He said, that was my mom. I would have never told my mother that story. I didn't think anything was going to happen to me.
3: Better remember that thing. Yeah. My
1: my mom could not look me in the face with like, like 10 12 days, man. Every time she looked at me, it was like a sense of sadness, a disappointment <laughs> that
3: just came over. I can't over. believe
1: you. <laughs> this is the kind of son I raised. And she goes, was that the weekend we went to church? But yeah, that was the weekend we went to church. So you was in was- there
3: with them Jezebels. Oh, man. She said, you should have <laughs> stayed in church then. After that, you're
1: behind. Should have stayed in church as far as that goes. Keep weighing in in terms of the one place you had a chance to sneak into that you can't believe you got into. It could have been an event, place, whatever that was. Keep weighing in at 888 say espn 888 729 can't believe I told that story. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman. Thanks for joining us, on Freddie and Harry. We get back to things out of Studio 54 into the National Football League, which at times can be Studio 54. When it comes to the best six and two team in the AFC, who do you believe is that best team right now? Harry shares. Here's I'll share mine, and you'll get that shared next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
3: Hot sauce, Freddie.
1: This is the Freddie and Harry podcast on ESPN Radio. It is the Wednesday grew known as Freddie and Harry. The guy that always crushes a lot is Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman, together presented by Progressive Insurance. Appreciate you joining us on the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM Channel 80. And don't forget to tell that smart speaker to play ESPN radio, 20 minutes away from finding out who was the worst of the worst when it came to the NFL in Week 8 that comes your way in about 20 minutes. The opposite of that are the best of the best. Harry, we got four teams right now, six and two in the AFC. Two of them play each other this weekend. Kansas City Chiefs take on Miami. That game's in Frankfurt, Germany. Part of the NFL games in Germany in back-to-back weeks. You got those two. You got the Baltimore Ravens at six and two, and the Jacksonville Jaguars Jack at six and two. All four, all four of those teams. But I'll say three of those teams lead their division. The Miami Dolphins right now near the top in the AFC East as well. So if I tell you, and I want to know from you, who is the best six and two team right now in the AFC? Who is that team and why?
3: I'm going to Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Number one, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is one of the chess pieces in the National Football League. And I think now that he has these weapons at his disposal, you're going to be able to see this football team in a different light. And I honestly can sit up here and say they're still ironing ironing things out, Freddie. Mm -hmm. And when they finally get things put together 1,000%, this is going to be a scary football team to deal with. Now, we've seen that game against the Detroit Lions, and – I can't help but think to myself, how many more times are we going to be able to see that version from an offensive standpoint of the Baltimore Ravens? Now let's take it to the defensive side of the ball. This is the second best defense in the National Football League. The number one team is sacking the quarterback. They're doing a great job collectively on offense and defense of being that football team that they need to be in order to have them in the prime position that they are, I'll say mm-hmm. their two losses easily could have been two wins. It was a self-inflicted wounds that allowed them to lose those, those football games, and they narrowly lost them. They, you didn't see them getting blown out of the waters of this football team when we're wondering, man, are, are, is this team even good? Are we questioning them on, on any type of levels? Right. The game they lost against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have the pass catchers dropping balls left and right. Right, And then you look at the game they lost against Indy, it was a self-inflicted wounds. Uh, everyone taking their turn here and there to mess things up that allowed them to lose that football game. So when I look at Baltimore right now, I think across the board, in the AFC, they're the best team currently at this moment.
1: See, I, I still want to side with Kansas City, mainly because they have number 15 in red. And I know they had that game where they lost to the Denver Broncos. Division game's always hard to win, especially the Broncos team that stymied them a little bit the first time they met. On a short week, they only allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to score 19 points. They become the first team in a long, long time to get this team, to keep this team under double digits in scoring. I'm still going to side with Kansas City. Your points are completely valid with the Baltimore Ravens. They have not even reached their full tilt boogie yet in terms of offensively. And if they do, that's going to be a scary team, not just in the AFC, but maybe winning the whole shebang bang in the National Football League, finally breaking through and having that deep playoff run with Lamar Jackson as their quarterback. All your points are spot on. I have way too much, not just blind faith, receipt faith when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. I've seen this before, how people have had questions about him. Yeah, they got a wide receiver problem. Guys are not stepping up. You're going to have to worry about the guys are going to take, teams are going to take away Travis, Kelsey, and that's going to stymie the Kansas City Chiefs. And then we're going to look up. It's going to be a 13-win team possibly a 14-win team, they're going to have the top seed in the AFC, which means that you have to go to Arrowhead and beat that team. And as we've seen, they beat themselves when they lost to the Patriots. And the other time, the Bengals had a comeback for the ages in Kansas City, the common denominator in Kansas City. So no matter what happens the rest of the regular season, if they're anywhere near the top of that hunt, they're going to be the best in the AFC. I'll take them. It's hard for me to do that because you are spot on about Baltimore. If you look at right now, Kansas City, Compared to these other three teams, they may have the fourth best offense among Jacksonville, Miami, and Baltimore because of the wide receiver issues that are going on. I just always believe that number 15 in red and his head coach and number 87 in red are going to figure out whatever kind of problems or conundrums (laughs) that may be there for the Kansas City Chiefs.
3: And and it's it's always hard to doubt them. And and I'll also say it's hard for me to doubt the Baltimore Ravens when Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson is healthy. Because we you. know what yep. he means to that football team. And I would also say this about Kansas City. When I look at their schedule, they have a big one this week in Germany. Yeah. Then they have a bye week. they got to play the Philadelphia Eagles. they still got Buffalo. And they have Cincinnati and also the Chargers. And that can go any way between those two teams and the way they play in that division. Mm-hmm. But I'm really – uh, can't wait to see that matchup that they have on New Year's Eve versus the Cincinnati Bengals oh, yeah. at home in Kansas City because of what Joe Burrow's looking like right now at this moment and feeling good and looking healthy for the first time that he's looked all season long. But you're right, man. Listen, Patrick Mahomes is that dude. And as long as he's had, he has Travis Kelsey, right. they're going to be okay. I'm just concerned okay. for the first time and Patrick Mahomes' career being a starting quarterback okay. about his supporting cast outside of the mm-hmm. running back room and right. outside of Travis Kelsey with those wide receivers because clearly they've lost two games mm-hmm. because of those guys not being able to hold up their end of the bargain.
1: And it's completely fair because you're spot on with that. That truth is right there, and what can they do to make sure that truth doesn't stay that way? Can't wait till Kansas City figured that out. Who's the best 6-2 team right now in the AFC? Let us know at say espn 888 888-729-3776. My man, Harry, still believes right now it's the Baltimore Ravens. I still believe it's Kansas City. What about you? Best 6-2 team in the AFC between Kansas City, Baltimore, Miami, and Jacksonville. Let us know at 888-729-3776. I will say this about Jacksonville. We got to start looking at them as being maybe a little bit more legit than we want to say. We know about Baltimore. We know about Miami. We know about Kansas City. Buffalo Bills, they're not that far behind. Cincinnati Bengals, you know they're going to be in the mix as far as that goes. But at the same time, I look at Jacksonville, I'm saying, man, they got a, buffer, they got a bunch of rough dudes on defense that will fight you every play, every whistle, mm-hmm. and then you got an offense now that got four guys that can make plays. Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. Travis Etienne, a running back. Calvin Ridley, wide receiver. And now Evan Ingrams will become a part of that because teams like thinking, well, we got to take away Ridley. We got to take away ETN. The Steelers did that last Sunday. And Evan Ingram was like, I'll get in touch with my inner George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. And he was able to make some plays. If that continues, and also Jackson learned so much last year after having that comeback against the Chargers. And they did not allow Kansas City to run away and hide from them playing that game in Kansas City. They could be more legit as a team that can compete for a Super Bowl in the AFC than anybody wants to talk about when it comes to Jacksonville.
3: I can honestly say this about Jacksonville. The last three times they have played the Kansas City Chiefs, including, including this year and twice last year, it was the self-inflicted wounds that did not allow them to win those football games. Absolutely. A play here, a play there, a drop here, a not a good decision in, in that, this, or that moment. If Jacksonville – when they play the Kansas City Chiefs or play one of these upper echelon teams, can understand that, hey, when plays are presented to you, you have to make them. Because in every football game, Freddie, there's four to six, four to seven plays that determines the outcome. And for them, on the bad side of things, it's been those plays versus Kansas City the last three times, the last two years, that has not allowed them to win those football games. But I believe in this Jacksonville football team right now. Mm-hmm. they got four, uh, three guys right now from a receiving standpoint that are over 400 yards. And you talked about them, Christian Kirk, Ingram, and Calvin Ridley. I like what Travis Etienne poses from the backfield, not Absolutely. only as a runner, but we've seen them have a touchdown catch this past weekend in their win, mm-hmm. right, versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I like what they are, uh, are as a football team. Uh, Defensively, you talk about D-line-wise, linebacker-wise, and then you having Rayshon Jenkins at the safety position being able to hold uh, his end of the bargain. So I like what Jacksonville is as, as a team right now.
1: And these two teams, meaning Kansas City and Miami, they play this weekend in Germany. That's another litmus test game for the Miami Dolphins. The first two times, F and F, and a big red F. When they played the Buffalo Bills, that didn't end well, and then they played the Philadelphia Eagles. That didn't end well. This Chiefs defense is better than both of those defenses that they're going that they've already played. Those guys can get after the quarterback. They can stop your running game. Steve Spagnuolo's defensive coordinator's done a really terrific job. They got corners that can blitz. They got corners that can cover. They got corners that can tackle. Their linebackers make plays all over the place. Miami has seen that teams have enough of a blueprint where they're going to make you try to out physical them, and if you give up on the running game. Then you put two or two by law in a situation where you really don't want him to be in. That is second and third and long trying to make plays his arm. Not saying that he can't do it, but to do it consistently against that defense, that's going to be an issue. I want to see how Miami measures up again. I believe they've learned their lessons from how they lost to the Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles. But that Kansas City team, especially at the last week, you can't expect that offense to be still, to be tied down. In back-to-back weeks,
3: well, see that's that's the interesting piece about this matchup. I want to see with the defensive coordinator at Kansas City what's going to be his mo, what's going to be his go-to because Absolutely. you practice against Tyreek Hill for so many years, mm-hmm. so I know yeah. you, I know you're not just going to leave your corners on an island with the fastest player in the National Football League. So it's going have to have to be a lot of deception, right? Show one thing, end up in another thing. We know he's going to bring the blitz, Steve Spagnuolo. That That's what he does. That's his M.O. You just can't ignore that or erase that. Yeah. But how many times are you going to be able to leave someone one-on-one with Tyreek Hill? I was just sending some clips in for Get Up Tomorrow, right. and I'm watching the corner for for the Carolina Panthers down there tearing his hamstring <laughs> trying to catch up the Tyreek Hill. I, I'm watching against the Philadelphia Eagles when he's double covered. He's running – Passed a double team for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. Same thing versus the New England Patriots this this past weekend in Miami. And I'm saying to myself, how how does this continue to happen? But the run game. The play-action game is so vital for the Miami Dolphins in that run game being a centerpiece of it. That's why Mike McDaniel self-reflected from Mm. last season and said, you know what, this run game has to get going because this offense could be way more valuable and way better than what we actually think it is. They didn't run the football great this weekend, and they were fantastic in play-action. So I don't even know how New England allowed that to happen. But guys were wide open, but it's the eye candy. From Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wallow when they go in motion is Tua with his play fakes, in which I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League, and faking and showing the fake to the defense and making them think run, his pump fakes, and then Jalen Wallow got a wide-open touchdown because of Tyreek Hill going in motion, going down the sideline, Tua pumping a little bit. Next thing you know, he's wide open. Mm -hmm. And you wonder how things like that happen when you have a dynamic player like Tyreek Hill and the speed of a guy like that. Your antennas go up as soon as he starts moving because he's the best in the lead right now at doing what he's doing.
1: If I give you the top four in the AFC, and we mention Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Miami, and I give you the top four in the NFC, Philadelphia, Detroit. Yeah, I know San Francisco lost three in a row. They're still at the top. And the Dallas Cowboys. Which four are you taking?
3: Ooh. I'm going to take the NFC, and here's why.
1: Okay. Because I disagree, but I want to hear this.
3: The physicality of the teams in the NFC. When I look at Philly, okay. I look at the San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. and you said the Detroit Lions, correct? I said the
1: Detroit Lions. I said Detroit, Philly, Dallas, San Francisco.
3: Yeah, I think from a physicality standpoint, you have three teams that their MO is physicality. Okay. When I look over at the other ones, we can honestly say the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. Right? Jacksonville maybe a little bit.
1: Even the Chiefs defense not physical enough for no, you? No, no, I'm you not saying. But,
3: but it's not just about, you know, defensive. Okay. We're talking about offensively as well, too.
1: Okay. Hmm. I'll take the AFC. I think they're more physical than you think. Not trying to question – no, fo- no, 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 I got you. Your football, you know, intellect. Not trying to call that into <laughs> question. I just look at Miami, the way they run the football. Kansas City's running game is underrated. They can play physical if they have to. We know Jackson was going to do that behind that underrated offensive line. Baltimore, they're always about the physical on both sides of the football. It's interesting how those top four, they really mirror each other. I'm not going to say you're wrong about the NFC, but maybe the AFC is not less physical as we've seen in years past when it comes to the teams that are at the top compared to the NFC.
3: And Jacksonville just added another offensive lineman from the Minnesota Vikings. They got a guard uh, before the trade deadline, so they added another piece to the offensive line as well.
1: Okay, great stuff by Harry Douglas. Hit him on Twitter at HDouglas83. I'm Freddie Coleman. Hit me on Twitter at ColemanESPN. Thanks for joining us. on Freddie and Harry, presented by Progressive Insurance. So we go from the best in the NFC and the AFC to the worst in the NFL when it comes to Week 8. Who makes this list? Somebody made it twice. We'll get to that next in ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This
0: is the Freddie and Harry podcast on ESPN Radio. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
2: It's
1: the Freddie and Harry Groovathon on this Wednesday for you, you and yes, you presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Harry Douglas. I'm Freddie Coleman. Thanks for joining us on the ESPN app, Sirius X XM Channel 80, and always, always tell that smart speaker to play ESPN radio. In everybody's life, there's always a good and a bad and a best and a worst. Boy, do we celebrate the worst like this.
0: It was a bad week for some this week in the NFL.
1: In trouble, sock bubble, first and goal.
0: Who was the worst of the worst? You're the worst. You're the worst. Find out now. This is the lower
1: five. We do it each and every week. There are always th- things in the NFL where you say "This, that was really good that week, but there's always five that are going to be really bad each and every week, and it's never, ever the same teams. These are the five worst NFL teams for week eight, and we start with. Number five. At the rate they're going, they're going to be in this every week. because <laughs> to the Las Vegas Raiders on national TV, Harry. That quote-unquote storied franchise. And they looked like that against a bunch of, bunch of up-and-comers called the Detroit Lions. And then they fired everybody that was not named, I guess, Josh McDaniels, Las Vegas Raiders, Harry. They're the number five on the worst NFL team for week eight.
3: Yeah, just disappointing when you have a national televised game and the Raiders display what they put out there on national TV for all the viewers to watch. These, this offense was one for nine on third downs. They had trouble getting the ball to Devontae Adams. Jimmy Garoppolo was terrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me to say that about a player being a former player, he had to be terrible. It it was god-awful. And I would say this. No one, from a receiving standpoint, had more than two catches. And the leading receiver in the game for the Raiders Mm -hmm. was Josh Jacobs with two for 27 yards. Which makes no sense. You're talking about a defense that got three takeaways, one of those takeaways being a pick six by Marcus Peters, and you still – could not could not have won that, that football game. And that defense held the Detroit Lions to one for five in the red zone. Yeah. God-awful yeah. embarrassment to be on national TV with that display.
1: Yeah, by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not going to be there either in terms of this week. Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue gets the start for Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. Number four. I never thought this team would be on this list at any point this year. But give the Denver Broncos credit. They held the Kansas City Chiefs below 10 points. I know Patrick Mahomes had the flu. He said he caught it from his kids. That happens this time of year when you're a parent. When they get sick, you get sick. Yes, me and Harry and Shannon Penn, our producer, speaking from experience. But the Chiefs, guys were dropping the ball, running the wrong routes. I never thought that they would be on this list before this week. They're number four.
3: Listen, Patrick Mahomes being sick, I mean, he still delivered the football in places that guys should have caught the ball. Absolutely. They had five turnovers as an an offense, drop passes, you had a muff punt. This wide receiver room for the Kansas City Chiefs aren't looking good right now. They have two losses on their schedule. Both of those losses have been because of the offensive wide receiver room have played their parts in why this team has lost those games. So moving forward, especially they want an opportunity to repeat as Super Bowl champions, those guys are going to have to be able to step up to the plate and do more. But to lose to the Denver Broncos, a team that we have been talking about in not a good light all yikes. season long, yikes that's that's not good at all. Number three. It's kind of – I guess we shouldn't
1: really put them on this list because nobody thought the Houston Texans would be three and four by this point in the season. But the reason they're here, they allowed the Carolina Panthers to no longer be the only defeated – in the National Football League. They were winless, 0-6, but Freddie Coleman had a premonition on Friday. He said, my bold prediction is, I think the Carolina Panthers get that first win, and my daughter, Brianna Coleman, was there tailgating with her friends from work, having a work party, and from now on, Carolina Panthers, you want to continue to win? Better get in touch and call my daughter and say, you need to be here for the next game. She was your good luck charm. That's why the Houston Texans are the third worst team in the NFL in Week Eight?
3: Now I'm glad that Bryce Young was able to get his first win Me as too. a NFL quarterback. But I had believed so much in this Houston Texans football team, even though they had won games that a lot of people didn't predict them to win before it came before they came into the season. I thought it was a prime opportunity for them yep. to go to four and three, absolutely, and really sit in a nice position to try to make some noise down. This second half stretch of the season. Now, that might be questioned now that you lost this game to the Carolina Panthers, and that's why they're on this list right now because they should have won that game.
1: He's Harry Douglas and Freddie Coleman together, and Freddie and Harry and ESP and Radio giving you the five worst NFL teams for week eight. We had the Raiders at number five after what happened on Monday night. We had the Chiefs at number four after what happened to them on Sunday in Denver. And we had the Houston Texans at number three, allowing the Carolina Panthers to win their first game of the year. That brings us to. Number two. We should really put the Jets here too. We really should not just have the Giants by themselves as the second worst team this week because they were a missed field goal and a prevent defense from having this flipped. But when you lose a game like that, even with the third string quarterback that you had won, in New York Giants, you're number two of the worst teams in the week in the NFL for week eight.
3: Yeah, two field goals missed by the Giants kicker, Goodnoe. Um you go in overtime and for some odd and apparent reason your head coach Brian Dable says let let us take the football with our third string quarterback let's go down and score a touchdown and get in field goal range not going to happen sorry <laughs> close but no cigar you're going against the Jets defense how about you go on defense first uh-huh. and see what the Jets are able to do and then yeah see what you could possibly get after that right. just boneheaded decision at the boneheaded decision just sloppy football, ugly football, football that my eyes were cr- was cringing <laughs> at even watching. Right. That's why they're number two. I'm sorry, Devin and Shannon, but it was just cringeworthy.
1: Yeah, it was. The Jets should have been on this list, but they got lucky because of the ineptitude of the New York Giants.
3: We got to go back and see how many times the Giants have been on this list. They've been on this list frequently.
1: It's definitely not less than two. I agree. I don't know if it's all eight weeks. You're not gonna go me into it. (laughs) (laughs) Last but not least, number one. The Raiders make the list twice. For what they did on Monday night. It was the blast on Monday night the way they lost. And then (laughs) if the blast don't get you to the fallout, will then the fallout got the Raiders on Tuesday. Overnight they fired, I think, everybody. They moved on for Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not gonna start a quarterback. They fired their head coach Josh McDaniels, they fired their general manager, they fired their offensive coordinator yuck the Raiders make our list twice they were the worst team in the NFL at number five and at number one
3: I never want to see people lose their job but mm-hmm, if too. the Raiders were going to make this decision it was warranted for it to be mm-hmm. the head coach the GM and also the offensive coordinator all three of those guys are linked together because they all three came from the New England Patriots so yeah clean house to start over yeah
1: Halloween was an extra day for Josh McDaniels, the general manager and the offensive coordinator. But now there's a new man in charge. There's a new sheriff in town of Las Vegas. And his name's not Reggie Hammond. It's Antonio Pierce. Wait until you hear how he got everybody excited the press conference. That's next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Freddie and Harry podcast on ESPN Radio. You can also listen to Freddie and Harry live. Weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. The Freddie and Harry Podcast.